Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. You'll be surprised at how much a heart kid can actually do. I like to say that being born with a broken heart doesn't mean you can't live a whole life. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. We are in our 15th season and we are so happy you're here with us today. Today's show features a heart warrior and our episode is entitled Raising Awareness of Heterotaxy Syndrome. Faith Ernest is an adult born with right atrial isomerism heterotaxy syndrome causing double outlet right ventricle, complete unbalanced atrioventricular septal defect, dextrocardia, bicuspid aortic valve, hypoplastic left ventricle, and left superior and inferior vena cava. Faith has had three major open-heart surgeries, including the Fontan procedure. Faith also has right-sided bowels, splenia, midline liver, right ventricular hypertrophy, stage 1 liver fibrosis, and trilobular bronchi. Faith is 20 years old. She loves writing and researching. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Faith. Hi, thank you for having me. I am excited to have you on the program, and you have some conditions, Faith, that I have never heard of before. So I have already done a little bit of research and learned a little bit more about your condition, but I'm really excited for you to teach my listeners more about heterotaxy syndrome. Your condition seems really complex. Can you tell us from your research what heterotaxy syndrome is and how it is commonly classified? Yeah, so heterotaxy syndrome is classified as a rare disease. It affects one in 10,000 people. Hetero means different and taxi means arrangement. So heterotaxy syndrome is an abnormal arrangement of the internal organs. It causes multiple organs to be multiplied, missing, misplaced, and or malformed. It ranges in severity with each person, even if only slightly. Mm -hmm. So with Mm -hmm. heterotaxy syndrome, not only are your organs possibly not in the right place, but you might have multiples or you might be missing some. Yes. Wow. Okay. Tell me some more about this syndrome. So there's two general types of heterotaxy syndrome. One type is called right atrial isomerism or RAI. In RAI, there's two right atria. Organs are in a bilateral right-sidedness sequence. So organs that are normally on your left side are on your right side, or they're duplicated to be like the right-sided organ. The patient usually has a splenia, meaning that they have no spleen, and there's often serious heart defects such as complete atrioventricular septal defect, Mm -hmm. TGA, Mm -hmm. and double outlet right ventricle and TAPVR. Other Mm -hmm. abnormalities that can come with it are trilobe lungs and midline liver. Hold on, hold on. Uh Trilobe lungs? What does that mean exactly? So with your lungs, 
you have your right lung and your left lung Mm -hmm. and one of your lungs is bilobed and the other is trilobed. So when someone has right atrial isomerism, they often have trilobed lungs, meaning that both of their lungs are trilobed. Instead of having a bilobed and a trilobed, they have two trilobed. Wow. So Mm -hmm. is that good or bad? That doesn't typically have a major effect. Okay. Surprisingly, like it sounds like it would, but it generally doesn't have an effect. It's more of something to note. Mm, right. Okay. Wow. There's so many different things that can go wrong or that can be different. Sure. Yeah. I'm amazed at the severity and the complexity of the different heart defects that can occur. Yep. Very much. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So one of the other things that shocked me when I was doing this research, because I really Mm -hmm. didn't know a whole lot about heterotaxy syndrome, was that I thought that you were going to be considered rare for having the Fontan procedure. But when I was doing some research, I discovered that no, these people with the right atrial isomerism frequently have the Fontan. Isn't that true? Yes, because people with right atrial isomerism, they are often born with the single ventricle defects more so than in left atrial. Mm -hmm. So because of that, they often require the Fontan procedure. Wow. Okay. See, you're teaching me so much about this. So I guess what makes you different from a typical single ventricle patient, like my son was born with Mm -hmm. a single ventricle heart and he was born with TGA as well, but all the rest of his organs are correct. Uh You're missing your spleen and it sounds like your lung is trilobular and it's not Uh supposed to be. So that's what makes you part of this heterotaxy syndrome complex, right? Yes. And then I don't know if I said this earlier, but in RAI, there's often also midline liver. Just wanted to say that. Okay. So tell me how that affects the human body, because I really don't know much about that. To my knowledge, it's mostly just like the presentation of it. It sounds like it's more of a problem diagnostically that you're going to Mm -hmm. need your diagnosticians and people to be aware of where they can actually get the information that they need to, because if they go in a (laughs) typical spot, they're not going to find it there. Right. Okay. So you said there's two different classifications. One is the RAI or right Mm -hmm. atrial isomerism. And then what was the other one? So the other is called left atrial isomerism. Okay. And this consists of the bilateral left-sided structures. I've heard it be described as essentially, in some ways, the opposite of RAI. It's often associated with polysplenia. So the person has multiple little spleens and the function of those spleens can vary. Okay. And then there's often interrupted IVC. There's VSDs and electrical issues in the heart. And other abnormalities can include bilateral bilobed lungs. Hmm. So people with heterotaxy, they can also have things like malrotation of the intestines, biliary atresia, primary ciliary dyskinesia, and regardless of the type of heterotaxy that a person has, they can differ on the exact diagnoses. So my descriptions don't really include all the diagnoses one can end up with, and someone can have RAI but have characteristics of LAI and vice versa. It's a very weird disorder in that you can have so many different things from different classifications. It's not one textbook definition type of thing. 
Right, like tetralogy of Fallot. It's mm-hmm. these four defects. That, but even then, even with tetralogy of Fallot, there are people who have differing degrees. I mean, with any of right. these heart defects, there's a continuum of the defects. And some of them involve valves and some of them, like you were just saying, with the LAI, it seems like that also has an electrical component, which you weren't bringing up with the RAI. But that doesn't mean that somebody with RAI couldn't also have some arrhythmias, especially if you've had two right. or three open heart surgeries, because we know right. that scar tissue can cause problems. You guys are complicated people. <laughs> and there is no one umbrella term that's going to really give us a complete picture. But what I like about some of these syndromes names is at least it cues us in on some things that we can maybe expect to be there. And I know that you contacted me after you heard my show on Ivermark syndrome and you wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about heterotaxy syndrome. And I think that this is really a good way for us to do this, to have these shows fairly close in succession, because some people think that Ivermark syndrome is a heterotaxy syndrome. And it is the subset, like we were just saying, there's that umbrella term and it right in there somewhere. But I think that Julia Mayfield, who was the guest for the Ivermark syndrome program, I think she is wanting to have this one a little bit more refined, a little bit narrower description to help her find other people like her because this heterotaxy syndrome, like you just said, it's kind of all over the place. Right. Well, and that's why there's those classifications. Ivermark and RAI are, to my knowledge, they are essentially the same thing. It's just different names at that point, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, as time goes on, it seems like the doctors like to put new labels on old things that may Mm -hmm. be very similar. Right. And so they refine what they decide to call it. And I see that a lot. Not only that, where we see over time where they're refining and adjusting some of the labels, but also geographically, what it's Mm -hmm. called in the United States may be different than in Australia or in France, or even for that matter, in Florida. You know, different parts of the United States can be different. So I think the more specific we can be, like what you were just listing, all of the different conditions that fall under the RAI, (laughs) that's how we really have a better understanding of what is going on. But let's talk about the heterotaxy syndrome history. What can you tell me about how long this syndrome has been known and how we've come to understand it over time? Sure. So beforehand, as you talked with Julia, you learned that Ivermark syndrome was kind of that first idea of what heterotaxy is. And to my understanding, that's what it was originally called. Okay. Over time, as there was more research done on it, and we found that it was much more of, I guess, spectrum defect might be the right term, as in there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of different things that can happen in ranging severity. So I guess that's kind of my knowledge of the history of it is that over time, we're learning more about the complexity and the spectrum of this defect, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you met anybody else who has heterotaxy syndrome? Yeah, I've met a few people, a lot of them being younger than I, but I have a few friends with heterotaxy syndrome. And one of the first people I ever met with heterotaxy was a child from a camp that I volunteer at for kids with CHD. Actually, I didn't have an understanding of heterotaxy. I just knew I had an abnormal organ arrangement until I met this kid who called it heterotaxy syndrome. 
And I was talking with his mom that day who explained the term to me. And from there, I started researching. And since then, I've gotten connected with people who have heterotaxy syndrome, which is really awesome. You know, I have a lot of friends who have heart conditions, and I relate to them really well. But having friends who have heterotaxy, there's another level to that, another level of understanding. And it's just really nice to be able to have that. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Before the break, we were talking about heterotaxy syndrome with Faith Ernest, and now we're going to talk to her about what it has been like to grow up with heterotaxy syndrome. Let's start, Faith, by talking about your surgeries. You said you've had three open-heart surgeries, including the Fontan. Talk to me about how common it is for people with heterotaxy syndrome to have the Fontan. Sure. It really depends. I don't know that there's a specific number that you could look up and see the commonality for a heterotaxy patient to have the Fontan. With the number of medical advancements that we now have, certain defects that once required the Fontan can instead have a biventricular repair. Yes, I was really excited because when I was looking up a little bit of information on heterotaxy syndrome so I could put our script together, I saw that. I actually saw an article about that, that there Mm -hmm. are a certain number of heterotaxy patients now who are candidates for biventricular repair. And as anybody who has a Fontan knows, if you can have a four-chamber heart you want to have that four-chamber heart because right. of the complications that happen with the Fontan. But that wasn't a situation for you. You weren't able to have a biventricular repair. Instead, you have a Fontan, like my son. Right. Does. We and had looked at it, but my you? left... Yeah, I just got through testing recently to mm-hmm. see if I was a candidate for a biventricular repair. However, we found that my left ventricle is less than half the size of my right. So uh... I wasn't a candidate. Right, right. Okay. You sound very sophisticated in your knowledge of your heart defect. Thank you. I'm very impressed because a lot of 20-year-olds don't have the grasp that you seem to have already. How old were you when you first started to understand how complicated your condition was? So that's a really interesting question. I don't feel like there's one specific point in my life because from a young age, I understood, well, I'm in the hospital because of my heart. But when I was around 10 years old, I found my 504 plan taped 
to the refrigerator. And every night when I would take my meds, I would read that over and over. And I started asking questions to my parents about what it all meant. And I eventually started attending Camp Taylor, which is a camp for kids with heart conditions. And one of the things that they do is heart education. So they started teaching me a lot about my heart defects. And as I got older, I started researching the defects on my own, going online, learning what I could about it, asking questions to everyone who I thought would have an answer. I did school projects on it. I really, from a young age, was always trying to learn more about my condition. It was very important to me to know. I think that's wonderful that you took such an interest. How were your parents and your pediatric cardiologist about explaining information to you? They really explained it to me in terms that I understood at the time. Mm -hmm. I can remember being about nine years old and talking to my mom because it occurred to me that I was very slow in running and Mm -hmm. I had come to a point of acceptance and I told my mom, you know, mom, it's okay that I'm a slow runner. Not everyone's fast. And I kind of accepted that. And my mom said, well, Faith, that's because of your heart condition. And I was very surprised to hear that. And the way she had explained it to me was that my heart was in half and it was on the opposite side of my chest. And the other stuff about the weird arrangement of my organs didn't come until a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like anyone sat me down and was like, this is what's up. It was more of, as I asked questions, they answered to the best of their knowledge. Well, that's very nice when it comes about that way, because it seems like if you're at the point where you're asking questions, you're also cognitively at the point where you can possibly understand and you don't feel too overloaded. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Good. You wanted to raise awareness of heterotaxy syndrome. Why do you feel it's important for people in the congenital heart defect community specifically to know about heterotaxy syndrome? I think one of the reasons it's so important to know about heterotaxy syndrome in the heart community is that I see a lot of people, at one point myself included, in the Facebook groups talking about their heart defects, and they mention certain characteristics that relate to heterotaxy, but they don't actually know the term. So if we're wanting to get more research on heterotaxy syndrome, we need more awareness, which is really hard to come by when there are members of the population who don't even know that they have it. So I'm hoping that by being on today, we can raise awareness and get people connected who have heterotaxy syndrome and teach them about it. I am amazed on Facebook how many different groups there are for all of the different heart defects. In some ways, I wish we just had one or two or three, but I think there are over 50 different groups on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a mama's group, there's a heart mums group, there's different groups for different conditions. Is there a heterotaxy syndrome group that's very active right now that you know about? Yeah, there's a couple. We have heterotaxy group connection and we have one for adults Mm -hmm. and there's actually a couple regional groups as well. Wow. See, why don't we just have one big group? Wouldn't it be easier in some ways if we just had one big group? Well, the big groups are nice because we can connect to a lot of people, but the smaller groups are also helpful because we can get connected to people who are closer to us in proximity and who might have different opinions on different doctors and hospitals. That's true. Yeah, there's pros and cons to both. Right. Well, it's nice to know that there are actually several different groups for heterotaxy syndrome. And you said it's a fairly rare condition, but apparently there are enough of you online 
that you can reach out to each other? And do you have opportunities for conferences or get-togethers? Of course, we're in the pandemic age right now for anybody who's listening right. to the show. It's the coronavirus time. Everybody's kind of on lockdown. And I imagine people with heterotaxy syndrome are considered to be part of more of an at-risk group than others, especially if, if they have a Fontan heart or if they have some of these other respiratory problems that might come with some of the lung issues that you mentioned. Right. There are, to answer the first question, I know that we do have a heterotaxy conference. There was one last year. I didn't get to go, but I hope to eventually go to one of them. They do have heterotaxy conferences. It's a newer thing, but it's really cool. It's really cool to see online. Some of the speakers, their speeches were posted online and it's really, really cool that they have that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. You were asking about during this pandemic age being high risk, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, especially you mentioned the respiratory issues that can come with heterotaxy. There's that and there's being a Fontan. So a lot of us have been not leaving the house. As I said earlier, I've been quarantined since March. I've left a couple of times for doctor appointments, but... Other than that, for the most part, we're having to like hibernate almost. I know. Now you told me before this show that you're a college student. So were mm-hmm. you like so many of the other college students I know? Were you forced to go completely virtual for the rest of your semester? Unfortunately, I really loved school. So that was really hard. But we went completely online and next semester we're going online as well. Really? So they're yeah. not even going to try and open up the school? I believe there will be very few courses that have to be conducted in person, but for the most part, everything is online. Tell me what you're studying in school, Faith. I'm studying psychology and child adolescent family studies, which is super fun. I really love studying it. Yes. Now, do you plan to work with a special population? Do you plan on working with teenagers with congenital heart disease or do you just like that that age group? My plan is to be like a children's therapist. I'd like to have a private practice working with children through trauma and I would love to work as a therapist inside of a children's hospital. Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read the Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt and your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store. Or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Thank you. 
Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Faith, let's talk in this segment about why it's important for us to know about heterotaxy syndrome in adults and what your life is like as an adult with heterotaxy syndrome. Sure. So it's really important to know about it in adults. We're among the first people surviving into adulthood with heterotaxy syndrome. And unfortunately, as you know, within the heart community, a lot of people, when they become adults, they kind of stop seeing their cardiologist. Mm -hmm. And I feel that with heterotaxy syndrome, it's so important to stay up with your medical team because we're often seeing a multidisciplinary team. Right. Um, Heterotaxy patients and Fontan patients alike often see multiple doctors, and it's so important not to lose that care, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Answering the second question about life today for me, it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I do the medical things in life, such as taking my meds, watching my hydration levels, scheduling doctor appointments, and doing research. And there's definitely the emotional parts of this situation that I deal with, like the triggers and nightmares. But on top of that, and even more important than that, I get to serve as a youth leader at my church, which I love to do. I'm about to enter my third year of college. I do a ton of writing, love writing. If we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I'd be volunteering at Camp Taylor this summer. Mm-hmm. And every morning I get to thank God that I woke up. So there's the emotional aspects of the medical situation. But overall in my life, the good outweighs the bad so much. Oh, I just absolutely love that. I love the fact that you're helping at Camp Taylor. Many years ago, I was a speaker in Sacramento, and I got a chance to meet some people who worked with Camp Taylor. And it seems like such an awesome experience for kids. It's amazing. It's so important, I think, for any heart kid to go to Camp Taylor. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't this the camp where it's not just for the kids, but they even had opportunities for the whole family to be there together. That's really unique, isn't it? Yeah. We have several different types of camps, but we have family camp, youth camp, teen camp. We've had retreats. We really try to tailor to everyone who's affected by heart defects. Yeah, I really loved it. Everything that I was learning about it, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And it seems like for you, this has been part of your own growth and development. Going to this camp and then turning around and giving back seems to be something that has really fostered your own feelings of self-worth in the heart community. Yeah, absolutely. As a kid, Camp Taylor taught me so much about my condition on a physical level of what's going on in my heart, but also on the emotional level of how to deal with it. And so now being able to volunteer and give back and help young kids in the same way that I was helped as a child, it's a really awesome experience. And I'm just so, so ecstatic that I get to be a part of it. 
I like the fact that a lot of what you were learning seemed very organic. It just seemed to develop naturally as you were getting older, as you were becoming more curious and meeting more people who had heart defects themselves. You became more curious, started doing more research. I like that. It seems very natural and a little bit less frightening than other ways that you might find out about your heart condition. Yeah. I mean, I've had my own surprise going through research before, but I got more information, I think, than if I had just relied on people to tell me on their own what was going on. Right. So you said you love to do research. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you plan on doing in the future with your education and with this research and writing that you love to do so much. I would love to publish books. I'm working on a few books now as it is. In terms of research, a lot of the research that I do is for my own personal knowledge. I like to be able to ask questions and then go online, figure it out, take that back to my doctors and see what they think about it. I mentioned earlier that I had seen if I was a candidate for the Bivent Repair, mm-hmm. and that came up after I had done research. I had stumbled on it by kind of an accident and then over the course of a year, I was asking questions and getting testing to see. So for me, it's a fun thing to be able to learn about for my own personal knowledge. But I also hope that through asking these questions, we can figure out other ways to help kids with heart conditions. I love that. I love that. I like how you're just kind of taking control and seeing what you can discover on your own and maybe pushing the envelope a little bit because you have to. It doesn't sound like there are hundreds of other people out there with the same heart condition that you have right now asking those questions and doing that. And so you might be in just the right place at the right time to ask that question that might further professionals thinking in that area. Right. I really hope to be able to contribute somehow to that. I have a feeling you are, Faith. Well, tell me what advice you have for other families living with a rare condition like heterotaxy syndrome. What would you tell a heart warrior is the most important lesson you've learned growing up with this rare condition? There's two really important things I think need to be touched on. And that is that the younger you can teach the kid about their condition and how to advocate the absolute better We often worry that kids aren't ready to know this. I know from personal experience that they are ready. And the more we can teach them, the better we help them in the long run. And also what I think is important to know is that heart patients can do far more than doctors seem to think. And I would really advise families to allow their child to learn their own limits. And both the families and the patients should know that they can do more than doctors may predict. I come from the medical era where heart kids are told not to exercise, and now we're learning that they can exercise. And I had doctors say that I would live a low-quality life, and I live a really high-quality life. So, I mean, you need to be wise with the medical advice that you're given, but you also, I think, need to not let that define you and learn those limits for yourself. Test your doctor. See if what they're saying is true, because you'll be surprised at how much a heart kid can actually do. I like to say that being born with a broken heart doesn't mean you can't live a whole life. I love that. Yes. Well, I have been going to heart conferences for the last 20 years. My son with a heart defect is 25. He'll be 26 next month. I have seen a huge shift. What you're saying is so true. 20 years ago, 26 years ago, they were much more overprotective of the kids. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, no, do not wrap your child in bubble wrap. 
it's okay. Let them run, let them play, let them do things. But luckily my son's doctors were good, even from a young age, even though he'll be 26. When he was 10, he was working on his black belt. He's the only Fontaner I knew at that time. Now, mind you, that was 16 years ago. He was the only Fontaner I knew at that time who was getting a black belt. It was not easy for him, but you're right. These kids can push themselves. They can do so much if they are given the chance. And I think you're right too about the sooner they can learn about their heart condition and really understand it, not to the point where you want to confuse them or scare them, but to the point where you empower them with the knowledge of what the real name is for their condition and what surgeries they've had, and what medications they're on. I think you really empower somebody when you give them that. I'm amazed your parents had your 504 plan on the refrigerator. And I think that's actually really good that they were constantly keeping in the forefront of their mind. These are the modifications that may need to be made for faith, but this is what faith can do. That 504 plan should be a plan for what you can do. And I love that. Right. It's so interesting. I have parents who were very protective of me with my heart condition as a kid. And I think over the years, I had to sort of start learning. And it was a learning process for all of us of what I can really do. You mentioned that your son, he has a black belt. And where Fontan patients, even if a doctor is okay with their Fontan patient doing exercise, it is very rare to hear any doctor say that they can do an extreme sport. And I was actually told not to do extreme sports. And then after that, I kickboxed. We're seeing, I think, different results that kids can do more and we can empower them. My 504 plan said the things that I wasn't supposed to do, but it also said, let her pace herself. Let her Mm -hmm. tell you when she's done. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me a little bit to be able to learn what my limits were. And that's something that a doctor can estimate your limit, but just like every heterotaxy patient is different, every heart patient is different too in terms of what they can do. Absolutely. Well, Faith, thank you so much for coming on the program today and teaching me more about heterotaxy syndrome. Thank you for having me. It has been a lot of fun, Faith. Thank you. So that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today, my friends. And remember, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.